This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the second Bottom Line podcast on the Blood Red channel, this time with myself, Matt Addison, and as ever, our business of football writer, Dave Powell. As those of you who are watching along on YouTube will be able to tell alongside us both for this special episode about, you guessed it, the European Super League, it's football finance expert Kira Maguire from the University of Liverpool. There's no one better to speak to about this right now than Kieran. Kieran, welcome back to Blood Red, first of all. I'm sure it's been an incredibly busy couple of days for yourself. So thank you very much for taking the time to come on and and join us. Well, thanks very much. My my big fear was when the story started to break on Sunday that somebody would want me in the studio during line of duty. But fortunately, I I managed to put that down as as a no-no to to everybody uh, that's asked me to, to have a chat about bits and bobs over the past... 48 hours or so. Yeah, certainly it was uh, the one good thing about that late press conference, wasn't it? Line of Duty was well finished by the time they came out with the uh, the official statement. But uh, I think we'll, we'll start with the most basic of questions, really, which is why are Liverpool doing this? And is the possible argument that they can't afford not to really a valid one? Um, I, th- I think we need to separate out Liverpool from John Henry. Th- this, is, this is John Henry's project as far as he's concerned. Why is he doing it? It's because of money. Um, at present, the Champions League generates about €2 billion Euro a year. And of course, that's split between the 32 participant clubs. And those clubs have to win football matches in order to earn the right to qualify for the tournament. Um, you know, we, we've seen, uh, you know, you know, the, I looked at the table at the weekend and at the time, um, I think Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal and Spurs were fifth, sixth, seventh and ninth. So therefore they weren't qualifying for the Champions League. So the the potential 100 to £150 million pounds you get from the Champions League, that wasn't going to be coming into their bank accounts next year. So therefore he goes, well, how, how can I circumvent this? Why do I have to win football? Why does my team have to win football matches? Let's just create a sealed unit whereby it's by invite only. And that gives me guaranteed revenues and guaranteed profits. And this is the driver. The, the nature of the competition, because they've, uh, because they've halved the number of teams effectively earning money from it, because there's going to be 15 founder members, there five teams will be invited each year, but they'll get just a tiny sliver of actually the money from the tournament. So uh, they think they can they can double the amount of money from the tournament, halve the number of teams, you put that into any calculator, you don't need to be a genius, and it's, it's very, very lucrative indeed. But does this work long-term, do you think? I mean, for me, I look at it and think, well, this could be quite good for, for two or three seasons. We get all of these big games, we have all the excitement, the glamour around it, potentially. I mean, I don't think that would happen because there'll be a, a hell of a lot of protests around it. But, you know, just hypothetically, this could work long term, uh, short term, sorry, but long term. After five, six, seven years of this, it, it just becomes boring. And to me, that would make it impossible to sell this product. I, I, think, I think you say that, Matt, because you are a traditional football fan. But as far as the Glazers and John Henry are concerned, we are an irrelevance because they are looking to sell a product. And that's that they know that the NFL sells out every year. And that's the same, isn't it? You've got a sealed unit in terms of no promotion, no relegation, the same teams playing the same teams every season. And they feel that um, we football fans here in Europe will will be delighted with a little bit of American showbiz 
And, and you know, I'm old enough, and you're probably too young to remember. I remember when Sky Sports started in the Premier League, and we used to have the uh, you know, we, we used to have the dancers and the singers before the match and all of this type of nonsense. And the fans just said, this is an opportunity to go for another pie and a pint. And nobody used to watch it. So, um, but the, the American owners are convinced that this is what we really want. We're not actually that interested in the football. We're interested in the showbiz elements and having uh, players, you know, having the best players in the world, which potentially, of course, they would do would mean that we would tune in and pay subscriptions to watch this product. Given that it is that American model, and I'll bring you, Dave, in on, on this one. I know you've got some expertise in, in this. I mean, should we be surprised that they've gone down this route? I mean, there's a lot of American ownership. I know Real Madrid have, have been obviously a big part of this as well, but the other leading sort of pit, uh, parties in this, it seems, are Manchester United and, and Liverpool. I mean, we're shocked at the way it's come out and how far down the line all of these plans are. But should we be shocked that this is a route that they've chosen? I don't think so. Um, if you look at the three US owners of the clubs involved here, I mean, John Henry um, owns the Boston Red Sox in the MLB. You've got uh, Stan Kroenke, I think it's the LA Rams. Um, and then you've got the Glazers who own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So... I think if John, if it wasn't so cost prohibitive, John Henry would have already tried to buy an NFL franchise um, because that is ultimately where the the money is in in the US. And it remains what kind of if if you look at if you were to look at the Glazers or um, or Stan Kroenke's Wikipedia page, their their main kind of occupation is the owner of these NFL franchises because that's the driver of their um, their, their their American business, I suppose. But then you've got. Because it's so close, I mean, John Henry would love the idea of the fact that there's uh, there's no kind of grey areas when it comes to qualification the following year because you can only plan your budget in effect for, for 12 or 18 months. I mean, there's no guarantee of Champions League football, is there? Um, so I think, I know teams can miss out on the playoffs in the NFL, but ultimately they're protected by these huge um, TV deals. I mean, the latest um, NFL deal for 11 years was is in excess of $100 billion. Um and the, it's all superstar players are very much part and parcel of all that. I mean, that's what they sell their um, their kind of um, TV rights based upon. And, and also they find that the, the issue they have with the NFL is that the, the smaller market teams that make the playoffs, the interest tends to wane um, when they appear in the, in the playoffs and, and the larger market teams don't. Um, same for, for if the better players don't appear in the postseason, then um, the interest in the, and the, the viewership wanes uh, in that respect. So I think that they will look at this and think, well, there's all these huge market teams here that could possibly feature in this um, this kind of international Super League, uh, who are all massive teams, who are all going to be featuring. Uh, so it doesn't matter who qualifies for the, the latter stages, there's still going to be eyes on the competition. So. I don't know whether they think this is even going to be an improvement of, of, of what the NFL currently offers them. Because, um, as Kieran will attest to, I mean, American owners see the Premier League in particular as being hugely undervalued. Um, because if you look at the valuations of uh, NFL teams, I think the, the largest is the Dallas Cowboys, which comes in just over four billion um, pounds. I think it's sort of five and a half billion dollars. And the smallest market team of the 32 is valued at two billion dollars. Um, and the Cincinnati Bengals. So, there's only, um, I'd say, this is based on, on, on um, stats that I noticed from yourself the other, the other day, came from last year. The uh, I think it's probably only four four clubs who are, whose value in the Premier League is is in the billions. So, for for 
um, owners like Cronky and, and and Henry and Glazer, I think they probably see that this is an opportunity for all these clubs to increase their value enormously again. Um, and, and let's be honest, I mean, it's not this is no move to better the product for the fans. This is to to better the bottom line for the owner. I think, Kieran, it's fair to say that that Liverpool were not sort of dragged along with this. They very much pushed for this from the front. And I suppose, does that kind of take away from the argument that they might say, well, we couldn't afford not to be involved in this? Well, I mean, it's not really that, is it? It's more that they've pushed for it almost from purely a point of view of of just greed. Well, well, certainly, uh, you know, John, uh, yeah, you know, John Henry is a very smart guy. He he made his money through being a commodities trader. He knows the value of a product. Um, you know, you, you've only and, and everybody acknowledges if you're in the room with him, then you know clearly you're in the presence of somebody who is incredibly smart. I, I'm, I'm sure that's what his young wife attracted him her to the 71 year old billionaire, and they are on. And he will have done the sums and worked out the potential cash flows from a product where you are playing Real Madrid, Juventus, Barcelona every year. But it, it seems a bit crazy because that's what we're getting in the Champions League anyway. But, you know, the last last year in in twenty you know, in twenty twenty, all sixteen teams came from the big five leagues. This year, it's fifteen out of sixteen. So we we practically have that. Um, and, and yes, the Champions League does need a refresh because the group games are dull. But the competition he's proposing, the group games will actually be dull as well. So um, I'm, I'm not convinced that uh, of, of the argument that it will be a better product. Um, and what's going to happen? Because you, you can't have all of these sides always being successful. So, you know, when, when the side that's seventh is playing the side finishing in ninth in, in a in a group game when neither of them can be relegated and, and, and as a you know, I'm, people probably know I'm a Brighton Hove Albion fan. Well, we're really excited every time that Fulham or Newcastle or Burnley are playing because you know we all, all Brighton fans tune in, and it's and it's the it's the converse because relegation is just as exciting as promotion. Take take that away, and then all of a sudden half of the appeal of the product it has gone. So uh, it, it's purely driven by by money, and it, you know, when you hear Perez of. Uh, Real Madrid trying to say that uh, the, uh, the the coronavirus has impacted upon the sport and they're trying to help recoup the losses and money's going to be spread all throughout the pyramid of football. He's a liar and a charlatan. It's as simple as that because these plans have been in progress for many, many years. It, 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 the, these were these were pre-pandemic. The, the, the coronavirus has simply given them the opportunity, a smokescreen through which they can try to force through these plans. And, and that's the driving force. Just to to mention there on on, on Perez, I mean, it, the the financial situation in in La Liga for specifically Real Madrid and Barcelona is pretty desperate, and, and I'd include um, Atletico Madrid in that. They had huge losses, didn't they, last year, um, based around the still paying down the the debt from the the stadium rebuild. Um, is this a, a case of basically this is Perez's open window here, knowing the full fact that. He's, he would be able to get um, at least um, the clubs, the English clubs you mentioned, so United, Liverpool, um, and, and Arsenal, to, to, to come along with this because the US ownership sees the huge benefits in it. And this is basically all it is. It's a way of them make, making sure that they can 
continue to spend when the fact is that their finances are, uh, are kind of engulfing the, the, the football club in flames at the moment? Yes, I mean, uh, the, the finances of the Spanish clubs were poor pre-pandemic because the, the clubs run the, the presidential model. It means that you end up trying to gain support from fans by being populist. Um, and a great thing to be, if, if you're populist, is to promise to spend money. So that, that meant that they, they, were, they were not in a particularly good position pre-pandemic. Have they been hit hard? Absolutely. But then every football club has been hit hard uh, at, by coronavirus. And what Perez's plans uh, are uh, to, to address the issue for 15 of those clubs, well, there are hundreds of professional football clubs in, in Europe, all of whom have hopes and aspirations. And his, his proposals were to take away those aspirations in many regards. You know, we, we've, got, we've got Everton planning Bramley Moore Dock in terms of this new stadium. Well, you know, Farhad Mashiri, part of his driving behind for forces behind that is that the new stadium generates more revenue, makes Everton more competitive. And on the back of that, potentially going to start to get into the Champions League. All of a sudden, that's thrown away. The guys who came into Aston Villa, exactly the same. They put in huge amounts of money. They, they again, are planning expansion. Well, what's the benefit of expansion if, if you can't actually, uh, you know, if, if you can't sit at the top table? So uh, it's, it's a very selfish and self-interested uh, approach, which is being undertaken by these club owners. There's sort of been a, a suggestion from the Premier League, the Champions League and UEFA and various bodies that if these 12 clubs or, or the six clubs in England decide to do this, they would then just be banned from the Premier League, they'd be banned from the Champions League. But it sort of strikes me that that economically wouldn't be viable because if you take the top six out of the Premier League, surely the rest of the Premier League just collapses, doesn't it? Well, I don't think it collapsed, but it, it, it's, not, it's not in the interests of anybody. You know, Liverpool fans, they still want to play Leeds. They still want to play Everton. And Everton fans still want to see them win, win the derby. You know, they, they, so it, it would be cutting off their nose to spite their face. Nobody is denying that the, the, the six clubs who are planning to join the Franchise League um, are huge drivers of interest in the Premier League. And everybody benefits but those six clubs already have, on average, £350 million a year more than the smaller clubs. So they, they, they've got a huge financial advantage every year. No, everybody accepts it. You, know, you, you don't hear the, the owners of West Brom or Crystal Palace saying, well, we think that Liverpool and Manchester United and Chelsea should have less money and we should have more. Yeah, everybody accepts where they are in, in the pecking order of football as far as the Premier League is concerned. What these proposals are is to say that that £350 million isn't enough. Yet somehow, uh, Joel Glazer and John Henry seem to think that they're the victims in this. And, and that's just nonsense. Yeah, they, the, the reason why the Premier League is the most popular uh, global sport is because of the unpredictability of the division. It's the fact that... that, that you know, Crystal Palace can go to Old Trafford and win and Sheffield United can and, and Burnley and Brighton can go to Anfield and win. And yes, you don't expect that to happen very often, but it still can happen. And that is part of the reason why people tune into the sport. And this is what th these owners don't understand. Do you think that the television audience in, in other parts of the world would be 
sufficient to sort of go well the, the sort of hardcore element of these fans who will oppose all of these plans is it big enough elsewhere around the world that it almost doesn't matter if people don't like this because there's just so many football fans that the numbers are, are always going to be there in some form certainly so if, if you talk to the the audience in asia or, or the us or africa um they are just interested in the results they 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 are more attuned to the showbiz element of football. It's because they're not from L4. It's just, you know, and, and they're not hardcore. And, and they don't understand what Bill Shankly built. And they don't understand the legacy of, of Matt Busby and all of these great pioneers within, within English football, which have given us as, as domestic football fans such pride in our national sport. For them, it's, it's a form of entertainment. Um, and... From the club's point of view, actually, it would be great if the hardcore fans stopped going, because that you know they could they could then sell more tickets to day trippers, tourists, plastics who all pile into the mega store, spend a fortune, and also they'd spend a farm. They're prepared to pay more money for an individual match ticket, you know, season ticket prices to to give. To give credit, and, I, and, I, and it, it, it pains me to do this, yeah, but it, Manchester United have frozen ticket prices uh, for season ticket holders for the last ten years, and, and and you got to give them some credit for that. They could sell, they could have charged more, and we have seen that in in some of the other clubs as well. But if people start ripping up their season tickets, the, the, the club owners will be absolutely delighted because there's always somebody else who who you know has to find Manchester or Liverpool on a map. Before they before they attend a match, who who will turn up, buy a ticket on the day, and pay twice as much? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's interesting you say that because I've got um, I've got friends who are huge Reds who travel to to Doha to to watch the World Club Cup final and and, and things like that. But they even even this is a, a bridge too far for them. But do you think that it, it seems that the temerity of these um, these owners to to pull this stunt, which is effectively what it seems to, to to be. It's I don't know whether it's an element of brinkmanship. We'll come to that in, in a second with UEFA. But um, whether they would dare do this, were it not for the fact that fans can't attend games, they can't protest on mass really because we're still in you know we're still in the pandemic. Um, and the the reaction to this had it is had this occurred. And we would have had a normal match match night last night. I imagine would have been um, a real show of, of kind of strength and unity against this. Um, but this is simply a way for them to kind of bat this away without having to have too much criticism. Well, we always say crisis creates opportunity, and uh, the pandemic has helped because you know I, I could have seen last night. I'm, I'm sure Liverpool fans would have been organised. They would have probably had been in connection with Leeds fans, and what they, what we would have said, you know, in the you know, in, in the 33rd minute or the 11th minute, whatever it's going to be, everybody walk, walks onto the pitch and has the match abandoned. And that's what we as fans would do until this scheme's, scheme gets uh, gets reversed. So, yes, I think there would have been a huge reaction from fans. It was, it was evident in terms of the protests outside of the grounds that fans were unhappy. But... Yeah, if you are a if you're a billionaire, you live in a gated house. You, you don't actually know what's happening outside, and um, the, the protests against the Glazers have never had a single piece of impact upon their behaviour. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not condoning those fans who got a bit awkward uh, in in terms of lobbing stuff over 
Ed Woodward's gated house, uh, you know, a, a few months ago when, when there were there was other issues in relation to the club. But um, you can understand the strength of process. These people have got brass necks. You, you, you don't become a billionaire by having a conscience or a moral or ethical compass, especially, especially if you're from the world of banking and finance. You know, it's an industry, as we saw in 2007, when it, when it destroyed the world's economy, it's an industry which just focuses on the bottom line and then it picks itself up and does exactly the same again. These people have no conscience. It's absolutely no coincidence, is it, that this has happened at this particular moment in time? Like you say, it's sort of been in the pipeline for a long time, certainly months, if not years. But it's almost the perfect time, for want of a better word, for this to, to come in from the owner's perspective, because there's going to be as little opposition to it as there ever could be. Yes, yes. And uh, yeah, they, they had to time it um, in respect of the announcement for the new Champions League from UEFA. I think even they felt that to have publicly signed up and for uh, Agnelli to be the head of the ECA um, when when the new Champions League was announced would, would perhaps, even for him, uh, look inappropriate. Um, so therefore, they, they, they put out this uh, uh, announcement. And, and again, you know, you know, 11, 11, you know, to try to say that, you know, to, to try to tie it in to you know, the time of, of the announcement of the uh, in, in respect of you know, Armistice Day, in effect, was just a huge indication of completely out of touch and, and the, the contempt that they have for football fans. And, and you know, and we, we are talking as football fans. This this is contemptuous. We we are simply a a product to be monetized and exploited by these people and provide a backdrop in the form of the atmosphere which helps them to make more money when they're selling the broadcast rights do you think there's an element of, of brinkmanship with uefa in the fact that if they don't i mean because we've already seen that there's been clubs saying no i mean clubs that they would have hung their kind of hat on saying yes you know so your psgs and, and Bayern munich and, and 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 dortmund but um and we've also had Porto say say no to this. So so now you've kind of got teams who would have formed kind of to the back of the queue of, the, of, of this um, farce of a league saying that, well, we don't want any part of it. But does, does this, does this? I mean, it seems antagonistic towards UEFA. Um, and, and obviously, Seferin's com- comments yesterday um, were, were kind of a testament to that. I mean, branded them snakes, etc. cetera. Um, um, strengthen their hand. Um, when it comes to the, the negotiating table for to get the reform that they want from the Champions League, I mean, because ultimately they wanted uh, uh, greater say um, when it comes to being able to negotiate TV broadcasting rights and to be able to kind of further upscale their own commercial deals through it. And, and UEFA wanted to maintain a veto over certain elements of it. So it just seems like it's a case of um, picking up the ball and taking it home with you because you didn't get what you want. So it's just a case of we'll press ahead with this now and we don't care what the fallout. Yes. Um, is, is this tournament definitely going to go ahead? I don't think anybody can say that. Um, could it be used to extract further concessions from UEFA? Yes. I think I think one of the key issues, as far as they are concerned, is that, uh, that the franchise clubs want to be able to sell some of their own broadcast rights for these matches. So I think in terms of the, the proposals for the franchise leagues, uh, there's there's two divisions of 10. So therefore, each club has nine home matches. And I think it's going to be that three of those home matches would be able to be sold by the club 
direct to consumer, effectively on a pay-per-view basis. And that there is some rationale in that. It, Manchester United claim to have 1.1 billion fans on the planet. Now, I, I take that with a pinch of salt because it's been put together by a marketing agency and, and you know, usually you, you, you take everything that they say with, with a, a healthy degree of scepticism. But if they do have 1.1 billion fans, last year, in, in 2019, pre-pandemic, they generated £627 million of income. That works out as 57 pence per fan per year. That's an absolutely lousy return. So if they could sell three matches and get 10% of their fans to sign up for a pay-per-view and charge them £2 each, that's £200 million per match. In three matches, they would get the whole of the amount of money that Manchester United usually generate in a year. And because UEFA turned round and said, no, no, we want to sell the TV rights on block as, as a whole product, this, I think, is the key issue. This was certainly also the key issue or one of the key issues in respect of Project Big Power Grab that we had last year. Um, although it's, you know, th that that didn't didn't generate the same degree of hostility. There were still you know, sycophants, cheerleaders, lickspittles and Lord Hawhaws saying that that was a good product you know, a few months ago. But you know, nobody's saying this is good apart from the clubs themselves. Um, so... Um, that, I think, is, is a critical issue for the clubs. They want control over broadcasting. I think that's one of the, the things with Jerry Cardinal and the sort of new investment with Redbird, isn't it, Dave? Is that something that their expertise would be useful to FSG? And am I, am I right in understanding that that's something that they pretty much have their eyes on at, at Liverpool long term? I think so. I mean, in, in previous kind of interviews um, before his investment, Jerry Cardinal talked about how um, being able to own the rights to broadcasting in, in European football was kind of a huge boon. As, as opposed to, it's there's always been this thing in the in the US, and even some of his kind of Redbird executives um, have said that there's, there's kind of got, there's more guardrails, I suppose, around ownership in the US about what they can and can't do. Um, but ultimately, it serves to, to the purpose of bettering the product for everyone because there's an equal playing field at the end of every season. Um, but Jerry Cardinal comes from a background of um, kind of selling the um, the rights around content. So the Yes Network was something he was a big player in, um, which was basically sell is the biggest regional sporting network in the US and sells broadcasting rights for the New York Yankees and, and other kind of um, New York sides across the across the region, and that's hugely profitable. Um, and he's talked in the past about um, vertically integrating um, new media. So it's all it's all business speak, but it's a case of being able to sell your own rights, um, uh, or, or like Kieran mentioned before, being able to sell the broadcast rights from the clubs themselves and be able to own that that kind of element of content. Uh, and also things like the, the experience of AI and, and all these type of things will be end up becoming part and parcel of football um, as because it's such a global sport. Um, people want to have the experience of going to Anfield that have never had the, the that wouldn't be able to physically. So all this will come into play. And, and I think given the fact that Cardinali is also very interested in the razzmatazz and the showbiz showbiz aspect of it. I mean, he's 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 a part owner of the XFL, which in effect is a um, it is going to fill the void in the spring in the US when the NFL season comes to a close. 
and the, it's a, a competition which was ultimately set up by the king of making um you know kind of sporting entertainment showbiz which was Vince McMahon so um he, he's obviously taken on the mantle of that now but the same thing counts I mean the, the idea behind the whole the whole thing is that it will be a a more they're free to, to to use all the things that we might find a bit um, garish um, in terms of um, how they present a product. So whether it's miking up players um, or, or kind of you know, the ownership or the head coaches and this that, and the other, and, and turn it into almost a soap opera every game. And he's teamed up with The Rock for this, you know. So it's you it's being able to leverage that kind of superstardom. And lo and behold, Liverpool have one of the biggest. Um, global superstars in, in the ranks in FSG now in terms of LeBron James. So the whole thing seems to tie together very nicely. About, I, I don't think it's simply a case of um, them looking to use this money for to add to a, uh, add a few clubs to the portfolio. I think this is there's no way these discussions took place and Jerry Cardinal and LeBron James didn't know that this Super League plan was going to be hatched and there were going to be all these potential opportunities. So it all, it all becomes a bit clearer now. Um, but obviously in, in Cardinale, I think that he is someone who who knows how to monetize, and I come back to that words all the time. Monetize fan, you know, fandom. Um, and we saw on social media yesterday that we're already seeing the term legacy fans being branded around, um, and and kind of as clubs target new fans, that new markets that um, have opened up through this, and, and I'm sure, Kieran, that kind of term of legacy fans sends shivers down your spine. <laughs> Yeah, I think anybody that's ever been to Halifax on a Tuesday night, I think they've got their legacy fan. Yeah, I have as well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the the wider sort of impact of sponsors and and all of this sort of thing, I mean, what happens, say, for example, with the Nike deal, things like that, what will these sponsors be thinking? Will they have, have known this sort of thing was coming? Will they have to even reconsider the terms of this deal? Because... You know, the actual football matches and, and the whole product is going to be completely different. Does that not have a, a knock-on effect in, in that regard, as, as well as obviously the, the TV and, and all the rest of it? There will be small print. Uh, you know, there, there will be there will be clauses in, in all contracts um, for major change of major change of events. You know, if Liverpool were relegated, there's a clause which says that you know Nike would would be paying less money. So um, that, that's that's fairly standard brick business practice. Um, would Nike be in favour of this? Yeah, absolutely, because it's it's more publicity for their products. If if the, if this tournament, you know, if, if this franchise league is a success, and then we don't know a whether it's going to take place and b whether it's going to be a success, then then as from Nike's point of view, it's an opportunity to sell more product, and, and again, bottom line uh, is a driver, and you accept that from a sportswear company, yeah, every because ultimately it's it it's it's selling uh, it's selling merchandise. You don't expect it from a football club because it represents the city. It represents the values of you know Bill Shankly, which Liverpool fans might like to associate themselves with, and the the custodians of the club. We we expect them to to have some form of moral or ethical compass, but sadly that's lacking. I suppose this is almost an impossible question, given we don't know whether this will actually end up happening. But in terms of, of the summer transfer market, if this was to happen, would we then expect transfer fees to shoot up? Would there be you know, an issue, say, for, for Bayern Munich or Paris Saint-Germain or, or teams that are not inside this 12? Would they suddenly be at a, a huge disadvantage in terms of that? 
I, I don't think they would, because remember, the UEFA Champions League will still be taking place. It will be taking place with Bayern Munich, with PSG, with Porto, with Ajax, with Rangers. Potentially, it could also be taking place with West Ham and Aston Villa and Leeds United. And yeah, those those sides, they're, okay, they're, they, are they as global as Liverpool, Manchester United and Chelsea and so on? No, they're not. But they still have sizable followings. And I think within Europe, um, all of us legacy fans will not be tuning in to the new competition. And I would encourage everybody who who is a fan, you know, if, if BT sign up for that, right, I, I'm cancelling my BT subscription. And I think every there will be a huge backlash from fans' organisations. You know, I've, I've never known so many Liverpool fans giving thumbs up to Gary Neville, as has happened in the last 24 hours. It, it must have... That must have made their skin crawl, but, but Gary Neville was absolutely brilliant. You know, he he spoke with passion, um, and he spoke in a measured way in in terms of the betrayal of the game by these individuals. I, I think there will be a product backlash. You know, we we are living in a, in in the era of cancel culture, and, and that would be something you know, I'd even consider pirating rather than and and, you know, and I and I'm as compliant legally as as. I'm, I'm neurotic about things, about doing the right things, but I'm not giving a penny to anybody that gives support to that to those, these, these organisations. We've already seen kind of the the early. I mean, the, the suggestion is that the likes of um, Amazon, Disney, Comcast, so so kind of play, you know, DAZN, so companies that aren't traditional um, broadcast companies in in for the English Premier League are, are all been mentioned around the edges but we've already had bt sport kind of condemn this uh, obviously it's self-interested because they don't want to devalue the, the the product that they already have but um it, it does seem that there is is going to be a kind of bit of militancy around this yes and would would it really move the dial forward for amazon amazon prime is is a pretty good product and if they add the football on top it's it's sort of a cherry on the cherry on the cake it, Amazon will realise that if this is a public relations disaster, why run the risk of incurring the costs of having to pay broadcasting uh, rights to the clubs when there is a potential consumer backlash where people will be switching off? Um, and yeah, from, from, they, they are. I think these tech companies are actually probably more conscious of their, the perception of them than the football club owners themselves. Just before we finish then, we'll uh, go to, to each of you on this in terms of a gut reaction so far, what has happened? Do you think the the uh, the Super League in its sort of current form, will it end up happening or are fans going to protest enough that this can be stopped? Dave, I'll come to you first. What's, what's your gut reaction at this moment in time? Um <clears throat> I don't think it will. Um, it makes me sick to my stomach. I mean, I am, as you know, I'm a legacy fan. I, I, um, I, I've watched non-league football for the past twenty years. So, um, it, it is everything which flies in the face of what football is and what makes the game good and what's what's great about it. And it's been the fact that the that men in their seventies in grey suits who don't even reside in this country can figure out what's the best course of action for our own game um, makes me sick to my stomach. I think it's a horribly thought-out idea. Um, the timing of it is crass, um, to be mild. And I 
I hope to God it doesn't happen because I think it will be um, the death knell for um, the game as we know it. I suppose it, it sends the wrong message and it and it accelerates our path and direction that I don't think any of us want to to go in. Um, and ultimately, I mean, while it will open up competition for the other clubs, it it, it our, our football in history is based on having you know Liverpool and United and and and, and these clubs in. In amongst us, you know, just because they're they're big now doesn't mean they we, we should you know the fans themselves don't want this you know don't want to see that happen. They want to be part of English footballing culture, and I just would hate to see it destroyed by people who don't understand um, footballing fandom in this country and what it truly means. Um, but my gut reaction is that I don't think it'll happen. I think it is a PR disaster which FSG and the like will not be able to row back from, um, and will be on their epitaph when they do come to leave the football club. Yeah, I think we're we're all on the same page and that we don't want it to happen. Kieran, I suspect you're probably going to say something similar, but if if that is the case, how do we get back to a situation where we can carry on as, as close to normal as it was before? I mean, in terms of FSG, their reputation now is is in tatters, I think. Whichever way this goes, the best case scenario is that it collapses, but even if it does collapse, whatever they say moving forward, their reputation is just absolutely finished now. I don't think they're worried about their reputation. They're worried about bottom line. Um, in terms of the competition, given the extent to to which JP Morgan have been involved and the the money which is, in theory, coming forward to these clubs, they, they would not have just done this if it was a negotiating tactic. So my gut reaction is it 60-40. It is going to take place. Um, what are the benefits that there are there are none apart from the benefits to the owner um fsg will just stay in boston and not worry about what's happening in l4 not that not that they ever have um but anybody who who tries to claim that the glazers and john henry have the best interests of english football at heart um well they should hang their heads in shame yeah, certainly been a lot of hollow words over the last few years. I think it's been proven now by FSG. But fascinating stuff from yourself, Kieran, as always, and, and Dave as well. Thank you both for, for joining me. We've certainly not heard the last of this story. And of course, we'll continue to cover it extensively across the Liverpool Echo and Blood Red too. If you're not signed up yet to the Blood Red newsletter, make sure you do that. The link for that is in the description. There's never been a better time to get the direct insight from our journalists straight into your inbox. For now, though, from myself, Matt Addison, from Dave Powell and our guest, Kieran Maguire, that's all we've got time for. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.